Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hi, everybody. I'm really excited to invite back a past guest that we had, um, Linda Baker. She was episode 115. And in that episode, we were talking about soul contracts. She had written a book about them. And the book was called Soul Contracts, How They Affect Your Life and Your Relationships, Past Life Therapy to Change Your Present Life. And we had such an amazing talk that I really thought she would be a great person to bring back for another conversation when she had another book out. And she does. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about her newest book, Train Your Brain, Change Your Life. And in the beginning of this book, I actually want to read to you guys the 12 questions that she prompts the reader to kind of take an inventory of their own life. And if you can answer some of these questions on a scale from 1 to 10, with 10 being the best, and rating yourself on these questions, you will have a better idea if this is going to be a book that you should definitely go out and buy that will help you with some of these questions. So as, as the listeners are listening now, I'd like you to think about these 12 questions. How satisfied are you with your life? Do you feel like your life is purposeful and meaningful? And again, 1 to 10, with 10 being the best. How loved do you feel by a significant other, family, and friends? How happy are you in the relationships you have with a significant other, family, friends, and coworkers? How much do you love and respect yourself? Where are you in attracting the financial abundance you desire? How self-empowered do you feel? Where is your health on this scale? How do you feel about your body when you look at yourself in the mirror? Are you generally happy and wake up looking forward to the new day? Do you usually go to sleep with a peaceful mind? In general, how successful do you feel in your life? And how fulfilled do you feel in your life? So those are some 12 questions just to ponder as we are taking the next uh, 45 minutes or so to speak to Linda. So welcome back, Linda. Hey, thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure, April. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the inspiration behind this book. Um, You know, like I said, last time you were on, we were talking about soul contracts and alchemy and hypnotherapy and, uh, you know, some really cool stuff. But, you know, what's what's the premise behind this book? Well, the premise behind this book is my clients. And I have been aware for a very long time with my clients and really with myself as well, how negative thinking really puts people in a negative way. And I was looking at that and seeing how when I go to the gym, I see everybody putting so much effort into training their bodies, you know, getting in better shape. And I think about people, you know, going, taking their dog to school and training their dog, you know, to do tricks or to, you know, to behave. And then I started thinking, well, I wonder how much time people actually put in training their own brain. And I started looking at this, oh, back a long time ago in the mid 80s, when I heard Louise Hayes say that you are the only thinker in your mind. And do you want the thought that you're thinking now creating your life? And I looked at that 
And when I was gardening or, you know, washing dishes, doing some mindless kind of chore where my mind had free reign to go where it wanted to, it would go to negative thinking, thinking about, well, what if this happened or what if that happened or thinking about some problem and expanding on the problem. And I asked some friends about that. Well, where does your mind go when it's just relaxed, when you're not focused on something? Does it go to creating positive things in your life or negative things? And pretty much everybody was like, wow, I never thought about that. But yeah, I'm creating these dramas in my mind. And I thought about that more and more and working with clients and just started writing this a long, long time ago, then put it away because I was busy with other things. And then more recently took it out and thought, hey, you know, this is pretty good. I really need to finish this up and get this out to people. Yeah. And it's interesting that we're having this conversation today because just yesterday I sat down with a client of mine and, uh, you know, most people, when they're coming into therapy, they're saying, well, you know, I want to work on me. I want to work on myself. I want to find out who I am. And, uh, she was getting some feedback from friends that she's such a negative thinker. She's negative all the time. And, um, and was just getting really harsh feedback from her friends. And, you know, and I said to her, I gave her the same examples of what you just said about like going to the gym and needing to do something more in repetition and really trying to train that mind to go into a new path of thinking. And I said, doesn't mean you're a negative person, you know, just because you're having maybe some negative thoughts, but she was really identifying as if like, oh my God, am I this negative person that's never going to be able to be this positive thinker? So we had a really good discussion similar to the discussion we're going to have today about how to train the mind to do that. So when you're working with your clients, what's kind of the first step? How do you nudge them to begin to get them in that direction? Well, because I do hypnotherapy. My thing is to go back to where this negative thinking started in their life. And generally it starts with our families and how we were brought up and what we learned as children. And that's why when I first came to this realization, like many, many years ago about myself and how I was negatively thinking, I was like, when I heard Louise say, you are the only thinker in your mind, I wanted to scream back and say, I am not the only thinker in my mind. Like my mother thinks in my mind, my father thinks in my mind. Like it's, I didn't feel like it was my mind. And so that was my first step. And that's what I work with clients that to not blame yourself, but a lot of times it's our programming and what we expect. And even, um, even thinking about thinking positively seems like a foreign thing to do. Like, like, no, I have to prepare for the worst. Why would I be thinking of the best? So would, so when you're working with your clients to take a look at how they were raised and their family, is it just kind of bringing awareness, um, you know, to them to say, well, you know, how would you describe your father in the way that he thinks? And how would you describe the way that your mother thinks? Or is it more about looking at the messages that we got as children, as opposed to maybe just the personality of the parents that raised us? Well, it's looking at both the personality, how we grew up, but it's definitely looking at the messages that we got and what we internalized. And that's why in the book, train your brain, change your life at the end of every chapter, um, Let's see. Actually, I don't think it's in the book, but I'm doing a class right now on 
Bridges Academy. It's www.bridges.academy. And we're going through the book. And at the end of every chapter, I'm doing a inner journey because the inner journey takes you into your body and into the cells and to find where this energy is within you because it's more than just understanding the negative programming. It's actually going into the cells of your body and releasing that negative programming and replacing it with a positive program. What I tell clients is you're like a a great computer and if your computer at home is not doing what you want it to do, you don't throw the computer away. What you do is you change the software and we are the same. We need to go in and we need to change that software for ourselves. And so the intention of this book itself is to help people to go deeper within and help them to begin to change that software. And do you have any um, examples that might be a really interesting story for our listeners to hear of maybe a successful client that was able to do some of this work and where they are today? Well, I have one client and I've used this story a bit because it was just really profound for me and for him. And he was a a really nice young man, um, very charismatic, a handsome guy. He just, and he was in the middle of a divorce. And he said that, you know, nobody at work, nobody takes him seriously. Nobody, you know, really listens to him. And he was very negative about all this and how, how his life was going. And he said that his life, you know, he thought his parents did a great job and he had a good family and all. So he wasn't sure where this all was coming from. And so when we went inside and hypnotherapy is a very easy process. All it is is just helping a person to relax so they can go inside and to the place, wherever it is, the root of their issue is. And as we went to that place, He became a small child, maybe around two years old, and he was lying on the sofa and his older brother and his father were tickling him. And now the image in my mind was, wow, you know, this loving father, brother, they're tickling this little boy, they're just having fun. But this is a good example of how what we internalize is more important than actually what people are saying or doing because his experience of this situation was he was out of breath. Um, he wanted them to stop. They wouldn't listen to him. He couldn't make them stop. And so at that particular time in his development, he internalized that I could be dying and nobody cares. Nobody listens to me. And whatever it is that whatever program we're running in our subconscious, our subconscious will continually bring us situations that reinforce that. And so in his life, he can continue to reinforce that nobody listens to me. Like, and, and he began to think how I'm not important to anyone. I don't mean anything to anyone. And he had a negative, very negative view about himself. And after doing this work and after finding that source and being able to go down as an adult into that situation and resolve that with his father and his brother and tell them how he was feeling. And of course, they immediately stopped and they were so sorry. And so then he gained this feeling of self-empowerment and took back his energy and his right to be heard and his belief that 
he deserved to be heard and that he could be heard. And that changed his life and how he presented himself in the world. Because just like your friend who, um, or not your friend, I'm sorry, your client who was talking about how her, her friends say she's a negative person and maybe they don't want to be around her, there's something probably within her that causes her to act in this negative way to get this reaction from them because somehow in her subconscious somewhere, it's something that she expects that um, how people should be treating her. And so she's creating that in her life, except now she's older and she's getting tired of that program and she's realizing that maybe there's a different way to live. And so she's coming to see you and seeking therapy. Right. Yeah. And I, I like what you just said there, kind of getting tired of your old programming, <laughs> wanting yes. to change it. Yeah. And that that was a powerful example that you gave too of your client. Um, it reminds me a little bit in your chapter five about how to integrate uh, the inner child and doing some of that inner child work. And I know in my experience, whenever I go there with hypnotherapy with my clients too, or I, you know, during a tapping session, you know, get them to be in touch with uh, their inner child, it's seems to be some of the most profound sessions for my clients. Yes, I I completely agree. Because so much of what we're holding comes from our childhood. And even when I have clients that say, well, I just think this comes from a past life. It seems really old. Of course, we have our past life work and our past life work is intertwined with our present day life. And many times, um, what we bring into this life programming is from a past life and it gets repeated in this life. And so there's two ways to look at this. One is from the inner child and one is from going back further to past lives. And what I generally encourage people to do is to do this life work first, because as you heal your inner child and free your inner child um, to be fully who you are, Oftentimes it resolves the issue. And then if the issue still hangs around and, 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 you know, then you can go to a past life and see if it is connected there. Now, I don't want to assume that everybody knows what we're talking about when we're doing inner child work, just because this is like just regular language for people like you and I and, and stuff. So can you maybe explain what does it mean to venture into inner child work? Okay. Well, first I'd say that we, each of us has many different subpersonalities within us. And it's really easy to see that if you um, say you're going to go out for lunch and a part of you says, oh man, you know, I just want to go and have, you know, like a hamburger and a milkshake today. And somebody else, another part of you says, oh no, like I really need to watch what I'm eating. Let me go to a healthy restaurant. And, you know, and maybe the other part is, oh, I'm tired of eating healthy. I just want to have some junk food for a change. And you can have this inner dialogue with yourself about a lot of things. If you're going to purchase something, you know, should I get this or that? So you just notice that inner dialogue. And the dialogue of maybe the one that says, oh, let's get a hamburger and a milkshake and, or let's go out for ice cream. That's often the voice of the inner child. And the inner child is that part of us that um, when it's healthy, 
is really attuned to to nature. It's excited. It's it's just like a healthy little child in your life. If you see a little three or four year old, I have a four year old grandson, and he is so exuberant. He's so excited. He his energy is you know he's everywhere. He's just wants. He's so interested in everything. He loves life, and that's our healthy inner child. But what happens when we're children, and if we have parents or grew up in a situation? where we're taught things like, um, no, no, don't, don't speak to your mother like that, or don't act like that, or, you know, um, you have to do this, or dress like this, or be like this, our really happy little inner child that wants to experience life starts to get little layers put on it, like, okay, I can make mom and dad happy if I act like this, or... When I do this, um, I get laughed at or, you know, all these little situations that block our inner child and restrict us in our life and cause us to live more in a box instead of a free flowing, open person like we're meant to be. And so the inner child work is really important because we uncover those layers and find out where was the child stifled? Where was the child hurt? Um, one of my common things I like to sell, tell people is that when we were children, we sold our souls to our parents. And by that, I mean, we were like really bright and happy and we had to learn how to behave to get love and acceptance from our parents. And that ranges from parents that, you know, were pretty good parents, but maybe had their own restrictions that they put on us to parents that, you know, have been harshly abusive to children. And a child can't say to a parent, I don't like the way you are, mommy or daddy. I'm going to go live with Susie's parents because they're super nice and they do this. A child can't do that. So a child has to keep giving pieces of itself away to make itself, um, like mold itself like clay to an image that the parent likes and the parent will accept. Mm. And so in starting some of this work, you would recommend that people go in order to change the brain, you know, and, and reprogramming it and, you know, coming up with a new program before you can do that, you feel that you have to do some of that inner child work. And let's say we have some listeners who have been there, they've been in therapy, they've done hypnotherapy, they've really feel pretty confident that they have a very good relationship with their inner child, but they still are finding that there is some of that old programming. Where do those people start? Well, I'll tell you an example of my own life because I went through this process. Like I said, I was like in a place where whenever I was doing what I call like a mindless chore where my mind was free roaming, it was going to negative things. And so I was my first client and I had to figure out how am I going to make this change? And one of the things that Louise Hay said that I did, which is very successful, is we can only think of one thing at a time. And so think of what really brings you pleasure, what makes you feel happy. And for me, I love being out in my garden. So if I think of my plants growing and my garden, it, it does give me a sense of, of pleasure. And whenever you find yourself starting to think in a negative way, 
focus on the thing that brings you pleasure. Just because you are the only thinker of your mind in your mind, and you can change that, and you can think about that thing that brings you pleasure. Now, for some people that I've worked with are feeling really depressed about life and just, you know, kind of down and, and feeling that negativity in their body. And I've told them, if you can't change your mind in the moment, then change your body. And by that, I mean, if you're feeling down, excuse me, I'm just going to have a little drink of water. If you're feeling down, take a moment to straighten your body, put back your shoulders, put your head up, and then say your negative thinking. And it totally changes. I mean, I've had people sitting before me that feel really depressed. And I'll tell them this, to ch how to change their body and put a little smile. And now tell me how depressed you are. Tell me what's happening. And they'll laugh. Because it's kind of impossible to do both, to be in a negative state and put your body in a positive state. Very interesting. Yeah, I could see, I could see where that it would just kind of almost feel counterintuitive to want to start talking about why you're depressed when you are sitting tall, head up, you know, mm -hmm. um, having a slight smile on your face. Okay. Uh, All right. That's right. So those are little tricks to, um, to get your mind because the mind, you know, it's like training your, that's why I put it, it's training your brain because your brain is, you have programmed it over all these years and it has been programmed to think in a certain way. So if you're going to train it to think differently, you have to begin with these little techniques. Um, I talk about in the book how it's like if you were eating junk food and you were like, you know, 30 pounds overweight and you never worked out or did exercise and you're sitting on the sofa and you decide one day that you're going to go out and go to the gym, you're not going to just go to the gym and you're not going to be the same as people who have been working out for the past few years and, you know, and they've been really focusing on this. No, you're going to go in and you're going to feel like, oh my gosh, you know, what do I do here? And you're going to start doing something and you're going to think, oh, I don't want to do this. It works too hard. And why don't I just go home and, you know, and, and watch that soap opera or something. And so there's this little fight because you've been doing something for so long. And so when you're training your brain, you have to do the same thing. You have to start like step by step. And when you and the most important thing, I think, is noticing when you go into negative thinking. And when you notice that you go into negative thinking, it's so important not to criticize yourself for it because that's just more negative thinking. But just notice and say, oh, my gosh, I'm thinking those negative thoughts again. And now I'm going to think about you know, this beautiful flower that I saw today, uh, or I'm going to think about, you know, this happy thought. So just let it go. It's, it's just like a cloud passing by. Um, now, ha have you done any research at all? Like, and I'm not, I'm not sure if it's out there. I know that there's a lot of research being done about like neuroplasticity in the brain and how we really can change the brain, the neuropathways, um, changing the habits that we have by using positive thinking, like pause this whole idea of like, you know, what you're talking about isn't just foo-foo stuff anymore, right? <laughs> there's, totally. there's some, there's evidence there's, to yes. finally back yes. this up. And I'm just wondering, has there ever been any brain mapping done 
on maybe people who are more of the pessimistic personality or negative thinking and then looking at a brain that you really have a person who is practicing these affirmations is being very diligent in the repetition of exposing um, their thoughts and being very choosy about what they think about and having those thoughts be positive. Do you know of anything out there that's been done that actually can show the difference between the regions of, of those types of brains? That's really a great question, and I do not have an answer for it. But I am I would bet that there there would be a difference if people had done that study, and I don't know if that study's been done or not. But that would be a very interesting thing to do because I noticed with my own self, like I said, I was a negative thinker. And now I'm a positive thinker. I very, very, very rarely go into a negative thought. And I would have thought back then when I started doing this that it would have been impossible for me to be where I am now. And it would be really interesting to have seen my neural pathways back then and them and them now. It's too bad I couldn't have done that. Right. I know I know a lot of people are probably familiar with um, there's been a lot of articles out there about uh, taking a look at monks who spend like hours of meditation and looking at their brain and seeing how there's like more activity, I think, in the prefrontal cortex of the brain. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also thinking about some some articles that I read about um, tapping techniques, you know, emotional freedom technique, thought field therapy, where you could see they would take pictures of the brain to show really representing like the anxiety and how much activity there was of the anxiety. And I think it would light up with like lots of reds and oranges and a little bit of blue and blue represented a very quiet and calm brain. And then after I think 12 weeks of tapping, when they took a picture of the brain again, um, like the majority of the brain was blue as opposed to showing high, um, activity of tension and and stress or, and I, and I wish I had the articles. So I was, could, uh, you know, tell our listeners, oh, here, reference this and reference that. But I just know that I've seen that before in people trying to prove that some of these um, energy psychology techniques really do work and change the brain. So, and, you know, what you're talking about in your book, I know, uh, does as well, but sometimes it could be a hard a hard thing to really grasp and practice and bring into your life if this isn't something that you've really have started yet, you know? It is. And that's why, you know, getting back to the inner child, it's important to look at our past and what our programs are, because sometimes we believe that our program is what's true. And if we were brought up with, you know, say for a rainy day, be careful, you know, the other shoe's going to drop or don't count your chickens before you hatch or so many sayings that people grow up with. Um, kind of scaring us to thinking that something negative is going to happen. We better prepare for something Um, to think positive and think that things are only getting better. And it it seems like a fantasy. Yeah. And now in your book, you dedicate a chapter to forgiveness, the power of forgiveness. How does that play into this? Forgiveness is extremely important, and forgiveness is a delicate subject because so many times people think that forgiveness means letting the abuser or the person who hurt you off the hook and saying, it's okay that you did that to me and I forgive you. And that's not really what 
forgiveness is about. Forgiveness is mainly about forgiving ourselves because whenever we're in a situation where we've been hurt or someone, you know, where someone has done something to us, um, we'll internalize like we shouldn't have let that happen or there was something about us that caused that to happen. And so it's really important that we forgive ourselves in this situation. And forgiving the other person comes after we have felt our own anger about the situation, um, whatever feelings that we need to feel. We have to feel those feelings first, I believe. And that doesn't mean we have to tell the other person, like, I hate you and you're a terrible person and whatever. But again, doing the inner work or doing the work privately in our home or even journaling and writing all our honest feelings about how we feel about that person. Because if we don't let our feelings out, if we don't let the anger that we're storing in our body about the situation or the pain, and pain often is um, has anger as its underlying cause, um, if we don't let that out, then we can't really forgive because we're we're running on this um, this program of being angry. And for an example, when I work with people who maybe in the past their mother has done things to them when they were small, and they're really angry, but then they'll come to me and say, "Well, I've really forgiven her because I know that my mother had a really hard life, and my mother, you know, they have all these reasons as an adult, and they say so I forgave her." that and I'll look at their body and while they're saying that maybe their hands clenched or their jaws tight and it's like no they haven't forgiven her and I tell people that when you feel the anger when you really feel the feelings around the situation that's when you can let them go and when you let them go they no longer control you and when they no longer control you that's when you can actually have real forgiveness for the person and when you go through that process, your relationship with the person actually becomes closer. Now, if it's someone you don't want to be closer with, maybe it's a rapist and you don't, you have no intention of being close to that person again, or even seeing that person again, you still need to feel the anger and feel the forgiveness for yourself, whatever you might hold about putting yourself in a vulnerable position or, you know, however that might look for you, whether it's, you know, true or not true or whatever. And when you can do that, then you can go to the place where you can think, well, that person did me harm because, you know, maybe they had harm done to them. Maybe you can look at a bigger picture with it. And when we look at a bigger picture, then we can forgive and realize that, you know, everyone has their struggles and everyone acts out their struggles in different ways. And, and um, unfortunately, I was hurt this time, but maybe there was something for me to learn as well. And it becomes a learning experience rather than blaming. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. I'm, th I'm thinking, though, of a couple of um, cases where I've seen um, people just almost get really stuck in holding on to that anger because maybe there was a violent crime or something that had happened. Let's see, let's, I'll take one example of, you know, a young, a father and her and his, um, young child, five years old was sexually abused by, mm. um, you know, the ex's new boyfriend. 
But, mm-hmm. you know, you go through the whole court proceedings. It's a five-year-old's testimony, blah, blah, blah. Right. So there was like just no justice serve whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and this topic of forgiveness is brought up quite, quite a bit because you could see where the anger is really beginning to deteriorate this father's soul, you know, it's, but it almost also serves him in a way because justice he felt wasn't served. So it's kind of like the only thing that he can really hang on to as if this person is being punished in a sense, if that makes sense, because nobody's holding this, this perpetrator accountable and the child was completely helpless in the situation. And, you know, kind of like April, how dare you ask me to forgive this person? Why would I even want to do that? You know, and you could kind of have like these rational talks about, well, how is the anger serving you and how good is it, you know, for your blood pressure and your immune system and your nervous system and your thoughts and what you hold on to each and every day. And I think, you know, people can look back and say, well, yeah, it's horrible, but I just can't find it in me to forgive. And this is a person, a uh, father that has a lot of spirituality, um, you know, religious. They He has his own faith in God and in church and knows about what forgiveness can bring, but yet very, very stuck. Yeah. And see, that's a really good example of forgiveness is not letting somebody off the hook. It's not saying, hey, I forgive you for what you did and you're free to go. And that's why you know, a lot of people can't forgive because if I forgive, then they're going to, you know, they're going to be free. And no, it's like not that at all. And for this person, you know, I would talk to him about one, holding anger towards someone. And this has been shown scientifically that when you hold anger towards someone, they feel it very little. I mean, they're getting that very, very little on their waves, but you are being affected by it. And like you told him, it's affecting your body. It's eating. And I would think with him, he probably may need to forgive himself. And that may be a big part of this for him, because why wasn't he there to protect his child? And that's like, could be totally irrational that he didn't have control over that situation. His, you know, the court ordered that this child be with his ex and, and, and that's how it is. So he, but as the father, I'm sure he probably feels like I should have protected the child. So I would think that self-forgiveness is really important for him. And So forgiving is not letting the other person off. Forgiving is about taking your power from that situation and forgiving yourself and knowing that that person, even though the courts um, didn't do anything at this time, he is not off free, that there is karmic justice. And sometimes we would like to see that karmic justice happen like really quickly, (laughs) (laughs) but it's not up to us, but it's to know that it will happen. And that's why forgiveness is so important because mostly I find it is about self-forgiveness, even though it's directed toward the other person. Yeah, I remember having a little bit of an aha moment with a bunch of women um, at my last woman's wellness training that I had. And we did we there's a whole ceremony that we do on forgiveness. A whole night is dedicated to it and taking a look at all of the people going back in our past and uh, really offering it up to a higher power um, for forgiveness for ourselves and all of that. And what was interesting as we were all talking as a group, it's like. 
um, everybody had someone that they were like, oh, this one is just a tough person. This one, I don't know if I can really offer, you know, forgiveness or want to forgive them. And my aha moment was like, well, here we are. Here's this person that might have done something that we perceive to be very hurtful or wrong to us, right? We're not happy with them. We don't like them. Yet, when we go to that place where we haven't forgiven them, that is energy that we are holding in our body that's attached to that person that we don't like. So why would we even want that body to be, or that, that energy to be held in our body? Absolutely. You know, so it was like, so as we were talking and everyone's like, yeah, let's get this energy out. It was <laughs> the whole group just shifted. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with this person. And you know, our thoughts are energy, our emotions are energy. And it's being held, like you said, in the individual's body that is, that is upset, that is angry. And you don't like that person to begin with. So let that energy go, like release it, you know, in that way. And maybe sometimes people could get a little tripped up with the overall word of forgiveness. You know, maybe that just feels too strong. Like, Oh, they they don't deserve the forgiveness. But maybe if maybe that's what worked for that group at that time was looking at it, not as the word forgiveness, but more like, wow, you know, when you think about this person and you're still holding on to this past story, that is energy that you are keeping in your body attached to this person that you don't care for very much. Absolutely. And in fact, I'm I'm working on another book. I've been working on it for a while. And it is um, about energy disconnection because so many of my clients that I've been working with and my friends and even in my own life, I've seen how important it is to disconnect from energy. And people are always talking about connect, connect, connect. And in my book, I'm talking about how it's really important. We have to disconnect before we can really connect. (laughs) So. Well, great. I'm excited. Another book. That means we're going to have you on again, I guess. Right. <laughs> well, it's going to be really exciting. I think it's going to be my best ever. Actually. Oh, wonderful. I'm very excited about it, but it's really important. And like, and that's like with the man that you're seeing your client, um, who had that very, very extremely horrific and important experience with his little child. It's important for him to see that what you just said, your aha is that he's holding that that man, that abuser close to him. And so it's about letting that go. And like I say, forgiveness is not about forgiving the crime. It's not about letting anyone go. It's, you know, to go free. Forgiveness is most often about ourselves and, and freeing ourselves. Right. And a part of this process with really training your brain, right. To change your life that you have to, you have to go there as well. So as we're kind of wrapping up, what would you say is kind of the take home for our audience about your book and what you really are hoping this book does for people? What I'm really hoping that this book does for people is to help people to go past the media advertising, the news, the tragedies, the, the, you know, the negative things that are happening around the world and in this country, the negative things of their past, and to realize that they have the power within themselves, that their brain is theirs, and their thoughts are what's creating their life. Thought, feeling, and the spoken word the only creative power in the universe is what um, Ascended Master St. Germain says. And I really, really, really want for people to take their power and to free themselves 
from that negative thinking and think the thoughts that they really want to have their life follow, the path they want their life to follow, and be free to do that, to be free to really own who they are and be who they are and to live, you know, in joy and live in peace. Wonderful. And you talked earlier about this Bridges Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is a website. It's bridges.academy. Um, it is. It is. Okay. Yep. So www.bridges.academy. And it looks like that there are some great teachers on here. I recognize a couple of faces that we've had on the podcast, including yours. Um, so can you tell people a little bit about what Bridges Academy is? And there's courses. And maybe if people want to follow up to what you're talking about, and actually learn online, uh, let them know what this is about. Yeah, well, Bridges Academy is started by this wonderful woman who had the idea that she knew different people teaching different subjects and she wanted to bring people together and have, um, well, she calls it Bridges Academy. So it's like a school, an online school where people can come and learn from different teachers from around the world. And myself, I've had people ask in different parts of the world, in different parts of this country, oh, are you teaching? Are you doing this? And it's really difficult sometimes for people to take time off work or to travel somewhere to learn. And so with Bridges, people can be anywhere they are in their comfort of their own home and be learning these wonderful things. And I just did a short uh, presentation on Bridges. And so that is there. So if people want to um, follow up with with that, they can they can look for me there. They can find other wonderful teachers there, like you said. Um, yeah, it's a great place to go and to check out. Wonderful. And can you also, we'll put that in the show notes, but can you also just make mention of your website as well, if people would like to check that out? Yeah, thank you. It's innersourceseattle.com. Well, as always, Linda, it's a pleasure to have you on our show. I look forward to having you back on with your third book. That sounds like a very interesting topic. Um, And I really wish you luck with this new book. And thanks again for being a guest on the Path 11 podcast. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. And have a wonderful day, a wonderful life. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. If you want more information about our films, visit our website, path11productions.com, to purchase DVDs or to rent and stream each film. You can also find our trilogy of films on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Gaia.com. You can still use our smartphone app for both Android and iPhones. Just search for Path 11 in the Google Play App Store, or if on an iPhone, look for Path 11 in the iOS App Store. Catch you next time!